0: Hi, my name is Susan. I've been arrested 32 times just for listening to people talk with each other.
1: The problem was I used to hide in the bushes outside the windows of people's homes to enjoy listening to strangers talk to each other. It's just something I like to do. I get bored and lonely
0: sometimes you know hey susan don't do all that there's another way to enjoy random conversations now thanks to the podcast show i can enjoy listening to conversations with strangers and learn something new every week no more listening outside the window just to enjoy a good conversation tune in weekly on wednesdays and subscribe for updates ...on your favorite platform to The Toddcast Show... ...and help our podcast family continue to grow and share around the world. Hello everyone and welcome to The Toddcast Show. My name is Todd Murat, your host, and I'm so excited to be here with all of you. The Toddcast Show is dedicated to exploring the human condition... ...through conversation with strangers... We explore the positive, interesting, and oftentimes shocking side of human nature. In each episode of the ToddCast show, I talk with strangers in a down-to-earth, old-school, and heartfelt way about their life. Nothing is ever scripted, everything is spontaneous, positive, and we never discuss politics. You won't know what to expect next. Join in the conversation to laugh, love, learn, and grow with others around the planet. Who will I call next? Tune in to find out every Wednesday at Midnight Pacific or for playback anytime on your favorite podcast listening platform. And stay connected with us at TodcastShow.com. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the ToddCast Show. Today, we're joined by our guest, Dave Alvin. Good morning, Dave. How are you? Good morning, Todd. Doing great, man. Thanks for having me. Right on. It's good to have you. Where are you calling from today, Dave?
1: I'm up in the northwestern part of the uh, North Carolina area in the Appalachian Mountains. Wow. What city is near you? Uh, <laughs> well, that's a really good question. Uh, I, The closest city that anyone would probably know of, and they may not know of this, is Boone, North Carolina, uh, which is where App State University is. Boone? Boone, yeah. Wow. Uh, like Daniel Boone with a an- light? Well, yeah, Daniel Boone. Yeah. What's funny about that? Daniel Boone wasn't from here. He, no, 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 no. He was actually from Kentucky. Uh, if you got off at Charlotte Airport uh, and you drove uh, uh, northwest for about an hour and 40 minutes, you'd be up in the Appalachian Mountains and you'd be in my neck of the woods. Cool, man. Is it moonshine country? <laughs> you better believe it is okay, you know, cool. you know the two things you need for moonshine right to make moonshine
0: um corn okay well yeah well you' mm-hmm. know. I don't know it. <laughs> hey, watch so, a your episodes
1: but what do you need well so you need two things one is you need an endless supply of good clean cold crisp water oh right right it's got to have the clean it's got to be c- cold it's got to be pure. And we got lots of that up here in the Appalachian
0: Mountains. And the other thing, the other thing you need, Todd, is a place to hide. Uh, That much I remember. That's why I like the show uh, Moonshiners, because it was fun to watch them hide. And, you know, it's like, how did I get away with that? I'm guessing there's a reason why it only lasted so many seasons. But (laughs) come to the Appalachian Mountains, I'll show you. Wow, man! Yeah, I've always wanted to experience that adventure on the East Coast. I spent uh, a good bit of time in Arizona in the country and mountains, and there's no moonshine making up there, but there's a lot of weed, crystal meth, and alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> well, Let me tell you, and it gets yeah. abused. It's a different kind of uh, backwoods experience. But well, you know, the Blue Ridge is the Blue Ridge is right here in my backyard, the Blue Ridge Parkway.
1: And so oh, Blue really? Ridge, yeah, the Blue Ridge Parkway gets more tur- tourism than um, Yosemite, Yellowstone, and the Grand Canyon combined. What? Yeah, right. Wow. Ah. No, it's because so, you can drive it any time of the year, but when it's most beautiful is in the fall. And so what you're doing it was most of it was built by the Army Corps of Engineers. And so what they did is that you can see both sides of the mountain. So what happens is you can see so down, so far is that you can see the layers of the colors changing based on the elevation. So that's what makes it so just absolutely
0: stunningly gorgeous. Mm -hmm. That sounds really great. I love it. I miss nature a little bit. I moved into the city and now I I live in a very (laughs) not rural environment in Henderson, Nevada. So I went from the country, small town, to like oh my god there's more people on my street than there were my whole entire block you know like in, in neighborhood really i mean the whole town to be honest with you probably lives in half of the housing complex that i'm in you know it's like 1900 people no problem then one little tiny cut out of the concrete mm. maze that i that i live in <laughs> but i miss nature i miss nature that's it's good uh i need to get out to the desert again and Explore. you're kind of making me think that, uh, you know, the city thing is Grammy. I I know, you know, but like, I really should get back out and enjoy some nature. It's been a little while, man. So thanks for that reminder. I appreciate that. Of course. My pleasure. Getting me thinking about it.
1: (laughs) Come visit. Uh, Oh yeah. (laughs) I'll get you addicted in no time. Okay.
0: Yeah. That wouldn't be hard, man. I'm, I'm easy that way. Like I love all things nature and I love real people and, the more different, the better, you know, as long as they don't like try to hurt me, rob me or kill me, I think we're going to be good. Uh,
1: you know, the thing here is that it's really spread out. You know, you step out on my front porch. The only thing you're going to deal with is my German shepherd. And uh, and the only thing you're going to see is these beautiful, majestic mountains. I love um, and that. Then, and then you have really crisp, clean air because of the elevation and then all the vegetation, right? All the trees, they take in carbon dioxide and spit out oxygen. And then, um, you know, I've got uh, mountain spring water coming into my cabin. That's so cool. Oh, it is, man.
0: When you drink it and bathe in it, yeah, you better believe it. Absolutely, yeah. I I mean, I know from being in the creeks and rivers and springs and things, yeah, that's a very rejuvenating thing. I can't imagine living with it like that. That'd be amazing. Cold shower every morning, bro. Wow, really? And it's cold. (laughs) Trust me. It's cold. It's coming out of the ground. Wow. Yeah. I feel that, man. I don't think I'd be able to deal with that in the winter. I might just uh, have to stink a little bit and get a washcloth. You know? <laughs> well, but I, you know, I
1: have warm water. It's just that I choose <laughs> to do the cold well, wa- cold water plunge every
0: morning. Oh, I got you now. Okay, yeah, cool. Let, yeah. Let's get back to that concept in a minute. Let, let's go back a little bit to your yeah. life. Were you born there?
1: No. Um, I was born in uh, Hollywood, California I was actually born to a single mother, um, and and I was born in uh, Queen of Angels Hospital when it was there back in the day. Um, And so what happened with my, you know, why mom was single is that uh, my dad, my biological father, two months before I was born, we don't really know exactly what happened, Todd, other than he had hurt his head in some kind of um, situation when he was in Korea. In the war he was a pilot and so to save his life they put a plate in his head well it also took his life because he was always complaining to mom about you know the pain and the headaches and he didn't know how much longer he could take it well two months before i'm born he tells mom he's going to the grocery store we never saw heard from him again nothing so we uh, we're assuming there that he took his life simply because of the what he talked about prior so when i was born single mom she already had two boys Um, she was living with, with her mother, my grandmother, another cousin. There were six of us living in a one bedroom apartment across the street from Hollywood high school. Now my mom, my biological mother, uh, came from what I believe the most badass generation of all time. Mm -hmm. Right. She was, she was known as Rosie the Riveter. So while all the men of that generation, right, like my dad that raised me was, he was over in Europe fighting the Nazis. My, yep. best, my best friend's dad was in um, Pearl Harbor fighting the Japanese. Mm-hmm. And so when all the men were off to war, all the women were home taking care of everything. They did That's everything. Right. Yeah, they did. Right? My mom, known as Rosie the Riveter,
0: she worked for McDonnell Douglas. She built airplanes. That's cool, man. That's cool. From what I understand, uh, my aunts were part of Corvair and uh, did something similar down in San Diego, uh, as I understand it. But I don't know all the different ones, but I remember hearing about that story and not understanding it when I was younger. But yeah, women had a very important role, and it was a really interesting time for, you know, seeing people come together. And it's terrible. War is terrible, but, like, you know, some really cool things came of it in a way.
1: Well, yeah, it, absolutely. It is terrible. And the world was being attacked at two different angles. Yeah. Um, Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, big mistake. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, they paid the ultimate price for it, which was horrible. Um, and then, you know, we shut down Hitler as well. So so the bottom line is that I came, you know, I was raised by that generation. And if you want to know why baby boomers are the way they are, there, there's your answer. We don't put up with shit. We just don't. Right. Um, our parents taught us better. You know, like my mother uh, that raised me, you know, w- let me back up. So Please. here's what happened right after I was born. A mom did her best for for five years and she got to, And again. She was a server. Uh, she was working at the Roosevelt Hotel in Hollywood, doing the best she could, working her tail off. And by the time I was five, she said, hey, I you know, I, I can't keep up. I, I can't feed this kid. And so she did a super loving thing. And she put me up for adoption and her sister adopted me. So my aunt and uncle by, you know, marriage or excuse me, by birth raised me. And so they were always mom and dad. And so at five years old, I left Hollywood, went to Long Beach. My dad was career military officer, highly decorated World War II, National Guard, regular army, complete career. Mom that raised me, Pat stay-at-home mom professional homemaker and I do mean professional you 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 walk into mom's kitchen and you learn something <laughs> she you know you weren't allowed to stand in the kitchen when she was cooking unless you were willing to learn something no absolutely not um and she so she taught me how to do laundry she taught me how to how to iron how to how to drive because back in when I was a kid you hung your clothes on a on a outside, you didn't have a dryer, mm-hmm. and so if you've never slept with sheets that have been dried outside, you have no idea what you're missing. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. right. I was fresh and clean, mm-hmm. and it was a you know, it was a wonderful thing to smell those sheets when Mom would
0: would, would put them on the bed. Man, so anyway, I don't know. Oh, no, please continue. But there's a question that's burning in my mind. When you're done, I sure. definitely want to know something. Sure. So the bottom line was,
1: um, there I was. And Bob and Pat at the time were, you know, th- they stopped drinking when they adopted me, which was great. And they got really got into camping. So they wanted to take me places. They would take me to Big Bear, Lake Arrowhead, Lake Alvarez- oh, so. big, um, uh Yosemite. I mean, you know, up all through Northern California. So we did that every summer. Well, when I was 11 years old, the first day of summer when I was 11, this is 1964, uh, I'm up early, right, like all kids. It's the first day of summer. You're super excited. And so I'm sitting in the TV room, and Mom comes and gets me, and she says, hey, come in the kitchen. Your father and I need to speak with you. And uh, so I go in, sit down, and I'm thinking, okay, here we go. They're going to tell me where we're going camping this 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 year. And I sit down, and Mom has a weird look on her face, and she puts her hand on my hand. Now, you're talking about your original mom or your daughter? Oh, no, this is my aunt. This is the ones that were raising me. Yeah, this is okay, my aunt. I want to make sure I understand. Sure, yeah, absolutely. So she looks at me and she says, David, we need to tell you something. And what we need to tell you is we're not your parents. Well, didn't well, you already know that? No. Oh, so, so oh, they didn't, I, I'm I'm five years old when this is all going down. All oh, I know is I kind of move around.
0: Dude. I don't really I, know what's going on. I thought you were part of the transaction. No. Like, uh, you know what I mean? Like you nope. knew what was happening, so you just nope. ended up. I mean, like, when did it happen and how did it, you know, you must have moved to a new place, right? Yeah,
1: exactly. I moved from Hollywood to Long Beach. I moved from a one bedroom apartment with my two stepbrothers, uh, a cousin and a grandmother and my biological mother. All, next thing I know, I'm, I'm in Long Beach in a nice uh, two bedroom, one bath house in East Long Beach, but I'm five. So I don't know what to ask or what to do. You know what I mean? You just don't know. You just go from one environment to another, and the next thing you know, you're, you know, you're 11 years old.
0: Wait, wait, wait! wait but let's not go that fast. <laughs> Hold on. Um, so, a couple of quick things. One is, how many siblings do you have? I have you two half. I, I have you.
1: two. I have two half brothers that I know of. Okay. My biological father, I never met him, never saw him, so I don't know what's over there. Gotcha. So, could there be more? Sure. Right, so there was a, and that that was the whole thing. How can you set a kid down and say, "Hey, we're not your parents"? Well, you notice, like, notice how I introduced her. Hey, my mom came and got me. You know, <clears throat> so that was very confusing to me. I'm trying to figure that out. At, so at, at eleven, at eleven years old.
0: Okay, but they didn't tell you to. You were eleven, right? Right. Okay. Um, what were the first thoughts that came to mind? How did you process that? I, you know what, uh,
1: I, I, I don't even know. I just know that I was. It was very confusing. It's like taking you outside and saying, "Look at the sky. It's blue, but it's not really blue." Is it? it, Is it blue or is it not blue? Looks blue to me. You look like my parents to me. You've been acting like my parents. Everybody calls you. I call you mom and dad. You know, everybody calls me your son. So, what do you mean you're not my parents? I don't know what that means at 11 years old. I, I just, you know, I struggled with it, Todd. And so here's, and then it takes a turn because shortly after they told me that they both started drinking. Now, why? I don't know. Was it because they told me? Might, maybe. I think a lot of it had to do with what was going on with my dad, with Bob. Kennedy had just been assassinated in November of 63. So there was a lot going on. My dad was in and out of the Pentagon. He was a, you know, he was an officer in the military. He was a, he was with the 40th maintenance, uh, infantry division, maintenance. He was in charge of, of, of equipment getting fixed and returning to serviceability. And so he was all over the place. And so he knew there was a lot going on back then. He knew the Bay of Pigs was going on. He knew the missiles were in, in, in Cuba. He knew what was going on. He knew we were one second away from nuclear war. And so there was a lot going on. And so again, so then they tell me that I'm not their son. You know, that might have been the straw that broke the camel's back. I don't know. It might have been too much for All as I know, they, they both started drinking and my life changed immensely again. So it got ugly fast. Bob turned into an animal. Pat, not so much, but she was still drinking and there was a lot of fighting and there was a lot of screaming and yelling and all that going on is anybody that's lived with alcoholism knows what that looks and sounds like and acts like um so one day they went to this grocery store now back in the 60s you could do that right could you leave your kids at home did it all the time all you do is call the neighbor across the street and say hey joanne bob and i are going to the grocery store we're going to leave david at home if he needs anything just come over and knock on the door right yeah sure tell him come over now and i'll make him a fried bologna sandwich right And so that's the way it was. So when they left, I knew where the booze was. And they were hiding it in plain sight. So I wanted to know what the hell this stuff was. How could these two amazing people drink this liquid and turn into the people that they were turning into? And so I went and grabbed it. It was brandy. Half a gallon. I poured it it into a coffee cup, half full. Drank it. And and you can stick a fork in me, Todd. I was done right there. I was an alcoholic on the spot at eleven years old. I never had a chance. Okay.
0: Um, it it, okay. it was like it was like pouring rocket fuel in my body. Okay. Hang on, let let's catch a couple of things here. Um, I'm just curious. Um, now I I personally have had plenty of family issues, and my own mother turned her back on me in later life. And uh, I felt completely abandoned and uh, not loved and struggled with everything. And it uh, got to the point where suicide looked like a pretty good option. I even looked into assisted suicide to try to find a way out. Over the years, therapy got me out of that. But I'm just now at 51 years of age after dealing with this for the last 15 years. 18 years or so, um, really able and learning to forgive and let it go and give it to God. For me, that's uh, my belief system. Um, But what I'm curious about is, do you forgive your biological mother and your adopted parents? And what was that experience like in terms of contemplating that sort of paradigm? Um,
1: Yeah, that was actually pretty easy for me. Really? Um, Yeah, I've always for some reason I've, I understand the value of forgiveness and reconciliation. Awesome. And yes. And, and, and so, um, yeah, because Pat Albin, the woman that raised me was a rock star mom mm. she raised me. She was an advocate for me. Uh, we grew up on a street where there was a ton of kids. She, she had them over for, you know, we did Christmas parties and, or Christmas, um, you know, uh, we do the whole nativity scene in the living room, and and so Pat was huge. When she made fried chicken every Sunday, uh, kids would come from miles around. Man, right. so my mom that raised me was a rock star. Bob Albin, well, it was interesting. Yeah, was he an alcoholic? Yes. I'll get into my alcoholism later. I'm, you know, I just uh, I just celebrated 35 years, but at 10 years, oh, Bob, Bob is buried at Arlington West. Right, There was no room in Arlington in in Virginia, so they buried him in Southern California in Riverside, which is called Arlington West. It's military. And when I got my 10-year chip, I went to Bob's headstone, visited him, did amends with him, put my chip at the base of his headstone. And I made peace with Bob right there on the spot. Um, Now, I I also made peace with my my biological father, and I'll tell you more about that in a second, um, because it had a profound, profound influence on me because I was willing to forgive him and make peace with the fact that I'm never going to meet him. I'm probably never going to even see a picture of his face. So, um, you know, so once, once I got the alcohol in me, then I started my own struggles started and it got of course, worse, worse and worse. Um, I got into drugs, got into hard drugs. By the time I was a junior in high school, they pulled me in uh, to the principal's office one day and said, Mr. Robin, you're out where you're leaving the high school today. So I was expelled. And, you know, that was fine with me. I could care less. I, I didn't. It wasn't like I was going, oh, my gosh, I'm not going to learn anything. I won't make money. No, I had the opposite belief of that. I was an entrepreneur as a young age. When I was when I was you know, young, my mother, Pat, she was she could do everything. She was from the you know, she she grew up in the Depression. So she had to learn how to do everything. You never threw anything away. You, you know what I mean? Just extremely, extremely resourceful. And so she grew beautiful flowers in the backyard, beautiful flowers, a whole big giant area of the backyard was for Pat to grow her flowers. Well, she'd go and cut those and she'd arrange them in the most beautiful colors you've ever seen. And then she'd take the flower and she'd cut it, you know, so it, for the water purpose she'd cut it at an angle not at the bottom but at an angle and it would open up more surface area for the water to get in then she arranged these beautiful colored bouquets then she'd put them in a bucket put water in it then she'd put about a half a cup of seven up in it well that's the magic (laughs) the magic is the seven up or the bubble up because it would make the flowers last two times longer than the florist down the street and they had no idea why so, I'm a kid out selling them out on the street corner. So, I'm learning right. how to deal with people. Yeah, it was incredible. Very um, cool. I also had a paper out. Well, mm-hmm. when, when you get a paper out, you're a business owner as a kid. Mm-hmm. You got to do everything. You got to get papers, you got to fold them, you got to put them in your duffel bags, you got to put them at four, the four at four in the morning, at four in the morning. <laughs> oh, right? Um, and, and then and then you had to go collect your money and then you had to turn it into your dead mother and yeah you're running a business at 11 years old that's t- and then I grew up across the street from a golf course so there was another you know way for me to monetize the idiots that like to go out there and spank whitey at least the ones that couldn't golf for the crap because they'd let their balls over the fence well I'd take my stingray bike I'd go ride the perimeter of the fence and guess what I'd find golf balls lots of oh. them so I'd take them home I'd clean them I went back to the golf course in the trash can. They threw the actual packages that the balls came in away. Well, I'd go get them, and then I'd go back into the parking lot and I'd sell them back their own balls. That's awesome, right? So I, I was, I was making money. I, I, you know, I've been programmed since a kid that there's money out there. Go get it, and go work for it. And so, getting kicked out of high school didn't mean squat to me. In fact, I went out that day and got a job with the biggest grocery store in the state of California um it was it had like 28 check stands across the front of it it was huge it had four check stands in the liquor department alone i mean this was a big big groan what was the name of the store lucky
0: store oh okay Lucky's. wow i thought it would be stater brothers i grew up in southern california
1: oh okay well yeah lucky and so yeah we were there in east long beach
0: uh, very cool.
1: very Alberti cool. and Will and Willow. So anyway, so I got a job, got a job on the night crew, became a clerk, went through the apprentice program, got into the union, and you know, by the time I was a, would have been a senior, I think I was making right at nine dollars an hour. Yeah. In 1972, mm-hmm. I went out and bought a brand new 1971 Mach 1 Mustang, yellow with black interior. Yes. And why everybody else is in high school. Here I am. Now, I needed a good job to pay for my addictions, right? right? Alcohol, and I'm doing cocaine, I'm doing barbiturates, I'm doing speed because I'm working nights. I'm doing, you know, I've already tasted heroin. You know, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, you, I'm a, you were out there, brother. I was out there, man. I was doing it, right. and so I'm hanging around all kinds of people, drug addicts and drug dealers and prostitutes and you name yeah. it, right? That's, that was my circle of influence there. Though I did have some good buddies, but, you know, I spent a lot of time in places I should. So to fast forward this, I married my childhood sweetheart. That lasted about two weeks. Uh, a woman I met a woman in California who was from Virginia um, that went to California to get away from Virginia. Well, she met me and brought me back, <laughs> So, but if Betsy hadn't brought me back, I wouldn't have made it. She saved my life. No question about it. And I love and adore this woman to this day. But she just woke up one day, looked at me and said, David, I can't do this anymore. You're alcohol and drug addiction, man. You know, you're a great guy and I'm out. <laughs> so bless her heart. She should have. She, she did the right thing. No question about it. So, right. And then I met a bartender. She had three kids. So I married her. And I thought, well, you know, hey, marry a bartender. If you're an alcoholic, That's that comes highly recommended. Um, if you, you know, if you three kids, I thought, well, you know, she's got three kids. That'll help me settle down. Well, it didn't. And then on June 8th, man, 88, I woke up that morning and said, that's it. Okay, boys and girls, we're done here. I'm out. I was in so much physical and emotional pain, Todd. Holy mackerel. And I, I all I knew is the pain had to stop. That was my day. That was threshold. And so I loaded my pistol and I'm ready to, you know, put it, I've actually put it in my mouth twice. And then when I'm wrestling with this, I'm like, hold on a second. You know, when you pull that trigger, you're dead. But those three kids upstairs, you know, your stepkids, I was living in the basement. They were living upstairs for obvious reasons. Um, I'm like, you're killing them too. They have to live with the aftermath of this. We know right? Anybody suicide? Yeah, you kill yourself and then you kill all your friends and family around you because they have to pick up the pieces. And so that was going through my head. So I was having a moment of compassion. And I'm like, you can't do that. That's wrong, man. The cops are coming. The morgue's coming. The newspaper's coming. This will permeate all through school. No, bullshit. No, you can't do that. Stop. Figure out another way.
0: Can we pause? Sure. I I, I don't want to I don't want to lose this but there's something that we missed and I'm really curious because that's that's heavy and please let's pick right up here but yes there's there's a couple of quick things I just want to ask and I know it might sound a little weird but this is <laughs> this is what I do um I got to know if your father could be right there sitting on your couch next to you today the man that disappeared what would you say to him Thank you
1: and I'll get into that in a minute. Okay. I really, All right. I'm going to tell you, there's a backstory on that. I love it. I think your audience will love it. Good man. It because it
0: set me free and it brought me peace. Cool. Yeah. You're, you're, you're actually a really interesting interview. You're kind of telling the story exactly how it should be, but I'm just uh, interjecting a little early. You've already got it in the play. Hey, <laughs> hey, bro, it's your show. <laughs> oh no, no! I just like to make sure we yeah. No, I, I want to learn I want to learn yeah, who you are and yeah, how got absolutely to be, understand like, where your heart your heart you know right
1: so um so now I'm what are you going to do right I'm not going to pull the trigger so the next thought I had was call Alcoholics Anonymous oh well, you know what's interesting about that Todd I had no references for that I didn't know who AA was, Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't know anybody. I'd never been to an AA meeting. I didn't know anything about AA, except there was the thought in my head, where did that come from? Wow. So the bottom line is I called AA, and I got a woman on the phone, and I affectionately call her to this day. I nickname her Madge. And the reason I nicknamed her Madge is she talked like this. Right, she smoked two packs and on filters a day, and boy was she kicking my ass. Are you serious? Do you want to get sober? You better be serious, because I'm not going to send anybody over there to pick you up unless you're serious. You Well, oh, she was the gatekeeper. She was a gatekeeper. That's all. She she had a job to do. Her job was to make sure that if somebody calls in, that they're serious and they need help, and they'll respond to that help. And so she's not going to dispatch anybody to come pick you up unless she's hopefully as sure as she possibly can. So she was only doing her job, bless her heart, another human being that played a role in saving Dave Albin's life was match. So the next thing I know, here comes Lauren. He pulls up, picks me up, takes me to AA, takes me in an all-men's group called the Stepping Stones Group of Alcoholics Anonymous in Fairfax, Virginia, just outside of D.C. Well, when I got there, he got me there in time to go through uh, to go to a 1230 meeting. Well, I stuck around for uh, the 12.30, the 4.30, the 6.30, and the 8.30 meeting. I went to four meetings that first day on June 8th, 1988. And so during one of the meetings, one of the guys took a book, the the book of Alcoholics Anonymous, the, the actual book. And he opened it up to the first page, and he wrote on there, he said, before you take that first drink, call one of us. And so they all put their name and their last initial. They didn't put their last name, just like John C., Right, yeah. and he put they put their telephone number, and they handed me the book. So I went home with that that night, and you know, understand, man, I'm grossly addicted to heroin, cocaine, alcohol, cigarettes. It's going down in my body. I am suffering. I've got intense physical and emotional pain. So the next morning at eight o'clock, my phone rings, and it's John from AA, and he's like, "Hey, good morning. How you how you feeling this morning?" And I'm like, "How do you think I'm feeling?" I I want to kill somebody, and I might start with you, pal. And he's like, John's a super, super guy. You love him, right? He's like, yeah, 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 I hear you. He said, hey, man, um, I called you for a reason. Man, I know where you live. I live right around the corner from you. We talked last night at the meeting. You may not remember. You were talking to a lot of people. He said, but hey, man, uh, let me come pick you up. I'd like to take you to breakfast, and then we'll uh, we'll go to another AA meeting. And I said, okay, I'll do what you want me to do, John. Because at that point, I was going to do whatever these men told me to do. I got a good taste that first day. They were living life, man. They were living large. They were living happy, joyous, and free. And I wasn't. And I wanted what they what they had. And I was willing to go to any link to get it. And when he said he'd come pick my happy ass up, I said, sure. Take me to breakfast. Let's go to an AA meeting. Because my life ain't working. Let's see what's going on with this AA stuff. Plus, they'd already told me to do 90 meetings in 90 days the day before. Right? So I'm like, okay, we're on day two. We got a ways to go. So let's go. Mm-hmm. And so, but that's how my career started in AA, Todd. Here's a bunch of men that don't know me. They don't owe me shit. And they're treating me like with such love and kindness and respect.
0: Exactly.
1: And they knew. They knew how bad I was. Why? Because they'd been there. And so, man, they just wrapped their arms around me and loved me until I could love myself. And so, oh, and so a couple of days turned into a week. A week turned into a month. And then once I got to a month, they gave me my first medallion. Well, they gave me one for the first day as well, They're called the Surrender Chip. But they gave me one at, 90, at, at 30 days. It was a metal chip, it said one month on it. And on the back, it said, to thy own self be true. And then I got one at two months, three months, six months, nine months, and then one year. And that was June 8, 88. So last, this last June 88, uh, or excuse me, this last June 8, I just picked up another chip for 35 years. Now, congratulations. Well, thank you.
0: Absolutely. So you has got to tell me about your father that don't forget. Okay. I will. No, nope, He's coming. Prompt. Okay, cool. So, <laughs> so,
1: um, what happened is, is that while I was getting sober, I had insomnia. So oh. I was up late. I was up late at night all the time. And no way there. to go to sleep because your
0: yeah. crutches were gone.
1: Yeah. Right. I got nothing, you know, but I'm up at three o'clock in the morning watching infomercials and and guess who I'm watching,
0: Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins. Oh, that was just a guess, but I've, I I remembered it. Guess- personal power, late night personal power. Late night with TV.
1: Here we go. Gun poker. Oh, Let's go. Yeah. You know there he is talking about me. I, I didn't even like him. I thought he was a pompous ass man. He was all me motivated, right? I'm like, like get this guy out of here. I can't stand him. But here's where here's where it was kind of interesting is that he said a couple of things that got me. One of them he said was. We'll do more to avoid pain than we will to gain pleasure. And I went, holy shit. Okay, that's kind of why I drank and drugged. I was trying to avoid pain or gain pleasure, and I wasn't getting either one of them. It worked for a while, but then it kind of, you know, it it, it left. It, It abandoned me. Well, then what really got me was, he said, you know, how people make choices in their life, the decisions we make are based on two things. One, we make them out of inspiration or desperation. And I thought, oh my God, is he talking to me? Does he, you know, does he know me? And okay. so that was enough. I broke out my American Express card and I brought bought the program. Now this is a thirty day program. It's called Personal Power. So they send it to you in a big box, yeah. and you have to you have to you have to listen to it on these little white things called cassette tapes.
0: I, I had it too. I bought it as well. <laughs> well, look at both of you were uh, both of us were gullible. Very so, different people, though. My experience was not nearly as uh, tumultuous as yours. But, yeah, we all have something within us that needs to be brought out, discovered, or elevated. And uh, Tony Robbins had a very good gift for uh, doing that. I, I really he believe he did. You did. And
1: uh, I did. I went through the program i listened to all the tapes i did the subliminal tapes on the weekends i did what the man told me to do and it worked well it worked to such an effect that one of my buddies in AA turned to me one day he goes what's going on with you man why why are you so motivated look at how much weight have you lost you just started a new business how's that going oh it's going great yeah really and you got out of that bad relationship marriage yeah really he goes dude what are you doing i go well there's this guy named tony robbins and i've been listening he goes hey I knew Tony Robbins. He says, I've got his book. I've never read it. I said, well, maybe you ought to read it. Yeah. And so I said, well, I went through his program. It's a tape program. And he goes, really? Ooh, that sounds cool. And I go, look, dude, I'll, I'll loan it to you, but you got to promise me you'll go through it. I am not going to loan it to you until you promise me. What's the And same? return it. Well, yeah, exactly. But I'm doing the same thing to him that Tony did to me, because on day two, I think Tony says, listen, if you're not going to do this, if you're not going to do what I teach you how to do, shut it down right now and go give the system, go give the program away. You're wasting my time and your time. I'm like, what a prick. You know, but he was right. It's accountability. Right. Accountability. Exactly. So anyway, so Dan went through it. This is all happening in 88 and 89. 1995 comes along. Dan calls me on the phone. And he said, hey, did you know that Tony Robbins is coming to town live? I said, no, man. Had no clue. He goes, okay, dude, you got me into this. You've got to go with me. Here's the date. Can you go with me? And I said, yes. He goes, awesome. I'll call you back. He calls me back an hour later. He goes, done. We pick up the tickets at Will Call. And here's what they told us to do. Number one, bring snacks. You're going to spend a lot of time in the room. Number two. Bring water, hydrate, drink a lot of water. You're going to need to stay hydrated. And number three, bring a good attitude and be ready to play full out. And I said, Dan, how much was the ticket? He said $695. I said, $700? He goes, yeah, man, but you could pay me back. I go, well, yeah, but that's not the point. You're asking me to play full out and bring a good attitude for $700? Don't you worry about a thing, pal. I'll bring it. So he's getting ready to get off the phone, right, Todd? And all of a sudden, he goes, oh, wait, I forgot to tell you the most important part. We're going to be doing a (laughs) firewalk. 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 I remember, and my immediate thought was, oh, hell no. Uh Out of your mind. I'm not doing no firewalk. But you know what's interesting, Todd? I didn't know what a firewalk was. I had no clue. I had no reference for a firewalk, had no idea what it even meant, knew nothing about it. But I'm saying no. And the reason I'm saying no is fear is controlling my life at this point. And so that was the distinction. You know, later on, that was a huge, huge part of what me getting my life figured out, if you will. So I'm like, yeah, sure, Dan, do the fire walk. Yeah, that'll be really interesting. Well, I hung up and I'm like, nope, we'll get there. I know that's for the crazies. We don't have to do it. We'll, you know, we'll just hang around and watch. And, you know, but I want to go see Tony because he's got good stuff. Yeah. So... The day of the event comes. And we get in our seats, 3,500 people at this event in Northern Virginia, in Reston, Virginia. And um, Tony takes the stage at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Well, the next thing we know, it's after midnight. Yeah, man. (laughs) You've been in a room for 10 hours with Tony Robbins. (laughs) And all of a sudden, Tony goes, take your shoes off. And I'm like, oh no, uh-uh, pal, I know where you're going with that. You ain't going to trick me. Well, I'm with 3,500 people. Well, guess what they're doing? They're taking their damn shoes off. And I'm thinking, people, no. Don't do it. Don't bolt for it. Don't go towards the light. I mean, right? And so now I've got my own dilemma. What are you going to do? 3,500 people take their shoes off. What are you going to do?
0: Go out there with your shoes on. They're going to know who you are. You, you take your fucking shoes off, Dave. Take- you better play along, man. Tony's in the house. that's uh, so,
1: <laughs> a conversation I'm having with myself, Todd. I'm like, all right, just chill out. Just take your, yeah. your shoes off. And when you get your ass out there, just hide in the back. You're going to be fine. Don't worry about oh. it. Here. Well, it's
0: so funny that you say that.
1: It gets worse. Uh-huh. You were in the front. You went to the back and you ended up no, in the front. No, not even out there. there yet. As we're going out there, Tony, is. <laughs> as you go out into this big giant parking lot to do this fire walk with 3,500 people, he gets everybody to start clapping and chanting. So now you got everybody, 3,500 people walking out there going yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and I'm walking out there going no, uh-uh. I don't think so i'm not participating well it gets worse because when you get out there physically then he fires up the african drummers so now it's dun done 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 yes 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 well yeah, try. I go high. now just how do you do this logistically well he started a fire early in the day his fire team did right and so when you get out there there's this giant fire that's been burning all day it's huge This thing is is 30 feet wide, and it's every bit of 70 feet long. And it's this big, giant pile of beautiful blue coals. They've been burning all day, so they just keep throwing wood on this thing all day long. And then at the end of the night, it renders. And you've got the biggest, giant, beautiful pile of coals you ever laid your eyes on. Well, that's what's out there. So what they do logistically is they take wheelbarrows over to this this big pit, and they load the coals into a wheelbarrow. And then they take the wheelbarrow out in the open part of the of the parking lot and they lay two lanes of sod of grass, what they call a fire lane on each side of that wheelbarrow. So that one wheelbarrow feeds two fire lanes and they just take a flathead shovel and they take those coals and they sprinkle them on top of that fire lane, that grass. And that's what you walk on. Well, I'm in the back. I know where the back is. I can see where all those lanes are. I'm comfortable. It's all good. Well, here's, what's, here's what Tony knows. Tony brought firewalking into his events because he knows he did his research. This is a thousand year old experience. It's been around. Cultures all over the world have used it for a huge variety of reasons, including rite of passage. And he knows this is literally one of the most life changing experiences, paradigm shift experiences any human's going to go through ever. So, he knows how important it is to get your happy ass through it. So, he doesn't want you to miss out. So, does he know there's people like me? Of course, he does. So, what's he do? He trains people to come find you. So, there I am in the back, minding my own business, thinking all's right with the world. And here comes this guy, and he makes eye contact with me. He gets about 20 feet from me. And he told me training these guys listen, when you make eye contact with these cowards, don't
0: take your eye off, them. just don't. So he gets about 20, minutes. Um, just, just a heads up, we've got 20 minutes left, and okay. I don't want to miss anything. So yeah, make no, we're sure good. that I have room to ask questions.
1: Sure. So bottom line is, um, he's like, uh, hey, man, uh, are you, uh, you going to, uh, no, he goes, are you okay? And I go, yeah, I'm fine. I'm good. You know, no problem here. Move along. Nothing to see here. And, and then he goes, well, hey, man, are you going to walk tonight? And I said, absolutely not. And he goes, hey, man, that's cool. No worries. We don't want you to do anything you don't want to do, but let me ask you a question. Wouldn't you at least like to watch? And I said, well, yeah, sure. I'm thinking, yeah, let's go watch these people burn their feet off. Well, the next thing you know, there I am. I'm in line. Next thing I know, right, I'm at the front of the line. And, and I'm looking down. I'm scared to death. There's a trainer standing there. The heat's coming off the wheelbarrow. And all of a sudden, he says, squeeze your fist and say yes. And I said, yes. And he said, stronger. And I said, yes. He, he could tell me. And I was leaving a lot on the table, right? I wasn't in a peak state. And he goes, stronger. And I threw my hands and screamed yes as loud as I could. He goes, go, go, go. Pew. I took off. Well, here's the first thing I learned about firewalking, brother. When you take that first step, oh, it's guaranteed. You'll take the second, third, fourth, and fifth. And so now I'm in, I, so now I'm in the celebration in with 3,500 people jumping up and down. And I felt more exhilaration than any time in my life. At that moment, I'm like, okay, where's Mount Everest? Where's the bus? Let's go. I mean, that's what you're thinking. But that's really interesting, but it gets more interesting the next day. So when you come in, that's, by the way, this is a four-day event. The Firewalk's a four-day event. That's day one, the night of. Now you're coming into day two and you're in the foyer, getting ready to go into the venue, standing there with 3,500 people. And Todd, I've never to this day witnessed or seen anything like it in my entire it was freaking gorgeous. People were getting along humanistically unlike anything I've ever seen. I've never seen or witnessed anything like it other than a Tony
0: Robbins. Yeah, th- there's this one thing. This is really turning into a narrative of the experience. I want to know about you. So it's like I have no problems with the firewalking and all that. It sounds great, but like, I'm not really learning enough about Dave Alvin. Like it sounds like you were really motivated and inspired by it, but I want to know who you are, man. And like how things worked based on those experiences. You know what I mean? Like, I just want to learn how it changed you as an individual. You know, that's, that's what I really want to know, man.
1: Well, at that event, I met one of Tony's trainers and I was just chatting with him and I'm like, Hey man, this must be really cool to be in this environment on a regular basis. He said, Oh yeah, it's really cool. He said, in fact, you see all those people over there with the black shirts and the pink writing? He said, look, those are volunteers, man. They're just like you. So if you want to come back in the environment, when you get home, call Robbins Research and ask him for an, a crew application. I did. So I sent it back in. Nine weeks later, I got a letter in the mail. that said, Dave Alvin, congratulations. You've been selected a crew at the Anthony Robbins Company. Now my foot's in the door. And because my application showed that I had a military background and a security background, they put me on the security team to help take care of Tony's celebrities. Because I lived on a farm and I had experience with tools and log splitters and stuff, they put me on the fire team. I freed probably Todd five or six times, and then they offered me a uh, subcontracting position. Because, uh, right. you know, when you're a, when you're a, when you're a volunteer, you got to pay your way, so it's a couple grand. Mm-hmm. Well, when you become a subcontractor, they pay for all that. Awesome. So that was through the 90s, through 95, 96, 97. 2003, Tony offers me the captain's position to take over all of Tony's firewalks globally. Wow. Was in 03, And because I homeschooled, he offered to pay for my kids. So now me wow. and my kids and my wife were on the road with Tony Robbins. '03, wow. 05, we go to London. We set the world record. We firewalk 12,300 people. Now Super Guinness was cool. not there. You know, I say world record, be careful, get us yeah. there. Uh but I've never seen another firewalk anywhere close to that other than a Tony Robbins seminar. Oh. Two, oh. 2014, I'm driving down the road, my phone rings, and it's Google. Okay. Hey Dave, is this Dave Albin? Yeah, what can I do for you? Well, this is Google, and we'd like to ask you if you're not under any contractual obligation or non-compete. We'd like to talk to you about hiring you. Mm-hmm. Well, homeboy's a free agent. What you got going? <laughs> And so the next thing I know, I'm being hired by Google. Now, they originally wanted to do a firewalk. We had to move it to a glass walk because they wanted to do it during the day. And we don't do firewalks during the day. It's a safety issue. I have to be able to see the color of the coals. But when I told them we could do a glass walk, they're like, ooh, you mean walk on glass? Yeah. They're like, ooh, tell us about that. So we ended up doing two gigs for, um, for Google. And then my career exploded, Todd. From there, I went to NASA, Notre Dame, Chick-fil-A. Remax Microsoft Heineken the EO organization the YMCA I started doing high school talks college talks university talks and uh, no pun
0: intended but we've been going hot and heavy ever since that's awesome um, so all these achievements really Center around things that you know come from early in your life and I, I got to come back around to your father man you got to tell me like what would you say to him if he was here yeah, say to him
1: well, so, um, when my biological mother got bad, uh, she was living in Bellflower, California in a, in a trailer in a mobile home park. And so we brought her to, we were living on, on our farm in the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia. So we brought mom to my house cause she was doing bad. And, uh, she lived her final days there and she got to spend a, a lot of time. This is my biological mother, by the way, this is Dean. And so she, she got to spend time with her grandkids. It was a wonderful thing. And then when she passed, we look, started going through her things to, You know, obviously, because they were there. And we found a book that was on pilots in Korea. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to see my dad. So it was intense, right? Well, my wife and I went through that book what felt like a dozen times and we never saw his name. I had his name. It was on my my certificate of live birth. Robert (laughs) Eisler. But no Robert Eisler in the book. And I'm thinking, what is she doing with this book that is supposed to be my dad and it's not my dad, right? So... I just, you know, I made peace with it. I'm like, look, my dad was in a lot of pain. He did what he had to do. I'm okay with it. He brought me into this world. I love him. I respect him and I honor him for that. And there's no ill feelings. And that's my choice. I choose gratitude. You know, Victor Frankl
0: taught us us that, right? What would you say to him if he was here right now? That's all I'm asking. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I would just say thank you. And I love you. I give
1: him a hug, man. That that would be that simple. Amen. Because here's what here's with me making peace with him the way I did a couple of years ago. I'm out to dinner in Boone with my son, and we're in this Mike's restaurant, uh, a seafood restaurant. We go there all the time, and I'm always treating the servers with love and kindness. I it's just the way I roll. I like to have good time with them. I, I I tip them well, but I also treat them extraordinary. And so I'm just sitting there, and all of a sudden, Davy's eating, and I look up at him, and all of a sudden, I look back. And you know what I see? I'm having dinner with my dad's grandson. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was one of the most magical moments of my entire life. Mm -hmm. And the only reason that that moment showed up as far as I can tell is because I made peace with my father. I loved him, I respect him, I honor him, and I made peace with him and because of that, that moment was possible. So when you say, you know, what would I say to him? Say anything you'd want to say to a loving dad that did everything he could
0: to help you on your way. Absolutely. And we're getting kind of close here. we got about 10 minutes left. There's one more question sure. that I'd like to ask, and then I uh, definitely want to lead into what you can do and what you do now and how you can help others. Um, sure. What do you think, if there was just one, maybe two little things overall in your life, what do you think would have been the most yeah, the most purposeful elements, let's say, of your life that led to your journey to success? Like, what do you think? Was it the drug addiction? Was it the love from the AA brothers and sisters? Like, what was it that was the impetus of making that change really? And, and if you look back and said, you know what, this one thing really made it all possible. Would there be such a thing?
1: Um, to group it all into, because there are so many experiences and so many different things that contribute to all that, right? So to say one, one specific thing would be difficult. I, I think to where it came from is because I got involved in the personal development industry. I remember hearing one time when they said, you know, the two most important times of your life is the moment you're born and the moment you figure out why. Up until that firewalk, I let fear control my life. After that firewalk, I controlled it. So I had my hand on the on and off switch and the volume. And so instead of fear being forget everything and run like I'd been doing my whole damn life, it became face everything and rise. And or, or as we say in AA, false images appearing real. Fe- fear is a lot. Fear is a liar. Right. I mean, fear's there to guide you. I get that. But just don't let it control your life. Don't let it become your jailer. And yes. that's that was that moment that's what that firewalk did for me. It allowed me to step in, not only to my own greatness, but I got to do it with 3,500 people as well and see the magic of how that transforms. You know, that next morning, you, you never seen anything like it, man. It's such a beautiful thing to be in a, in a space like that with 3,500 people that all experienced something the night before that's so freaking extraordinary. And we all shared it, right? Because our self worth, our self confidence, and our self belief just escalated. Mm-hmm. And we all learned how to deal with fear from that day forward. So I think that's probably that, re- you know, that magical moment, if you will. Yeah, all AA and everything led up to that. I had to put the plug in the jug. I had to reach out for help, which I think is one of the most brilliant things any human being can do. Mm-hmm. Asking for help is genius. It's important. Very important. I've been there. Yeah, I think it's genius <laughs> because without that, because a lot of times, you know, we go through that. I think you said it a while ago, Todd. It's like, hey, you know, uh, you know, I'm bothering you, or you know, I, I don't want to bother you, and I'm doing this, and I'm in, in, you know, I'm infringing on you. No, you're not. You know, and, and you know where that came from for me is in AA. When I read the preamble, when I read, when anyone anywhere reaches out, I want the hand of AA to be there, and for that, I'm responsible. You know, my my one of my mentors said something else to me one time that this kind of goes into that question into this theme of this, and that is, he said, you know, every human has got two lives, and the second one starts when we realize we have only one.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a complicated discussion right there, but I understand <laughs> it. I understand it at fifty one right. years of age myself. Um, it took a long time for me to. Unravel the mystery and uh, get the focus. Um, would you say the opposite of fear is faith? Um, what's the opposite of fear?
1: I don't... I, no, I wouldn't say faith. I, 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 that's not coming... You know, what's the opposite of fear? Um, the opposite of fear is bullshit. I mean... Okay. Right? I mean, because again, it all comes down to how well we manage fear, right? We know that what doesn't challenge us doesn't change us. So fear is what controls all of it. And, and, and again, once we get to the position of controlling that, then again, it's okay to guide us. So we don't do stupid shit that kills us, Yeah. but we just don't want it to become our jailer. Yes. So, um, I mean, I, I guess part of it would be, you know, the opposite of fear is faith, it's belief, it's knowledge, it's wisdom, it's moving forward, it's taking the first step, it's doing shit when you're scared and you do it anyway. Because I believe that fear is nothing more than exhilaration without the breath. I've seen that, right? Because at my walks, I get them to breathe. I have them take three cleansing breaths. Mm-hmm. And so their whole physiology changes when I, once I get oxygen in them, right? Because when we're fearful, what do you do? You hold your breath. Yeah. So when you could take them out of that, move their body, get them to breathe, boom, exhilaration takes over.
0: Hmm. Very, very cool. Very cool, man. Wow. Um, I know we're getting really close, but I don't want to miss anything. Is there anything that we might have missed that's important to your message today and uh, something that might be on your heart or in your mind that you wanted to share that we might have overlooked? Sure. Stop negotiating with yourself. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Knock off. Look, if you say you're going to get up at six o'clock in the morning and work out and take a cold shower and read your meditations and read 10 pages in a good book and take a two mile walk and do all these things, fucking do it. Stop negotiating with yourself. That's because everything we do in life, Todd, you know, this is all 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 centered around uh, patterns. If you overeat, it's a pattern. If you undereat, it's a pattern. If you don't work out, it's a pattern. Everything's a pattern. So once you learn what those patterns look like and how they're running your life, and once you learn how to interrupt those and influence those patterns, you can take your life in a completely different direction. It's that simple. And and I've heard Robin say something pretty close to that. He doesn't quite articulate it the way I did there, but the bottom line is that patterns are everything. And so create good ones. And the other thing is, everything that happens in your life is a story. You create it. Viktor Frankl taught us in in Man's Search for Meaning in Auschwitz, they can take everything from you. I don't care what it is. They can take every physical thing, stand in the cold, naked, kill your family right in front of you, think you're going to the oven tomorrow. But you know the one thing they cannot take from you is your attitude. That's right. And your belief system. So be very, very careful what you tell yourself.
0: Absolutely. Tell yourself good things. Don't talk down to yourself ever yeah. under any circumstance. Yeah. And I can tell from my own experience that uh, getting help is the key when you're lost and I've been lost. And when it uh, comes down to it, you need somebody that's wiser and able to help guide you back to the light, man. Because yes. when you're living in that darkness of despair and destruction, nothing looks possible. And so you got to change your attitude. That's the other thing. It's not just an easy process either. It takes time. It takes effort and patience and love thyself, man. That's what I think. Love yourself and uh, always cherish this beautiful life that we've been given. And uh, sometimes I think it's easy to take it for granted. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: that's the beauty of that's the beauty of aA the other thing I would I would I'll, I'll close with this and that is okay. you are you are who you spend time with mm-hmm and you better choose wisely because you will become who you spend time with love your family choose your friends if you take your five closest friends right now and you average out how much they're earning per year and you average that out you're within
0: 10 percent mm-hmm yeah, I've heard that over and over, and the times I've thought about it and realized, holy crap, I'm going to be dead broker in debt, like, based on these people around me, um, you know, things have changed, thankfully, and it's it's actually improving quite a bit, but there is a conscious effort that goes into that, and sometimes you got to cut the ties, man, and let go of uh dead weight, you know what I mean, like... Um, it's just an interesting thing, but yeah, you're exactly right. Choosing the people that you, uh, spend time with and the people who influence you and you choose to influence, it's huge. And, uh, oh. yeah, I couldn't agree more, um, been on both sides of the fence and I like the bright side where there's lots of options and happiness and peace, you know what I mean? Not struggle and strife and, you know, anger and negativity. Right. I got, you know, I was on a, I was on a podcast a couple of weeks ago and the guy asked me, he said,
1: so if you could go back and change, you know, um, uh, any of the negative stuff that happened to you, what would you change? I said, nothing, nothing, nothing at all. Because, because at the end of the day, where do you learn? You learn from mistakes. That's where you learn. There's no other way. How are you going to learn? If you do everything perfect, you don't you Gotta make mistakes. You got to screw up. And if you're going to screw up, screw up. If you're going to screw up, screw up bad, fail forward, man.
0: Exactly. And just so you know, no rush. We can go over you know, a few minutes, no problem at all. Um, I just want to be complete and making sure people know who you are and how to get a hold of you. Sure. And uh, let's do that here in just a moment. But man, um, your journey sounds really amazing. And one thing that's really struck me about you since the beginning of this interview is that you are just radiating positive energy, but you're so motivated and convicted, I feel, by the spirit of, you know, what I would consider to be God or love. And, you know, I really feel that from you. So, you know, for what it's worth, like your story is really not only inspirational, but you can feel your energy coming through and every words that every word that you speak, man, like you really are a very passionate person. I admire that quite a bit. Well thank
1: you, John. It's been a pleasure to come on your show. And, you know, I believe that where much has been given, much needs to be re-given. And so I've been given a lot. And so again, that, that, that preamble in AA, when anyone, anyone reaches out, I want the hand of AA to be there and for you that you're responsible. And I took that to heart. And so I, I believe if you help enough people get what they want in life, you'll always get what you want.
0: That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Altruism is a beautiful thing. Sometimes it's good just to give, but everybody wants something in return. Yeah, it's not, yeah, well, not the winning formula.
1: No, it's funny. One of my buddies in AA one time, I did something really cool for somebody and I was in the meeting talking about it. And after the meeting, he took me aside and he said, hey, man, that was really cool what you did. Uh, now the next time, keep your mouth shut. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, yeah, what? and I'm all, what do you mean, man? What are you Just yeah. do me a favor. Shut your mouth. Do something right. nice. Trust me.
0: Yeah, no, it's exactly true. You can never mm-hmm. boast about those things or draw attention to yourself for, um, you know, the, the energy just doesn't work like that. Nice. My buddy, Cap, I totally agree. If you love me. So we never really talked about it directly, but what do you do, man? What do I do? That's a really good question. Uh, So
1: I got a little, you know, uh, after Google called me back in 2014, uh, I had a conversation with a couple of them and they said, hey, man, you can do what you want, but you may want to start your own company because there's a huge marketplace out there in America for you. Now, this is Google telling me that. So I went, well, maybe you you should listen, Dave. And so, yeah, you know, corporate team building, life-changing paradigm shift experiences. Mm -hmm. So I came to the table in 14. We started, and that's basically what we do. We create some of the most powerful, life-changing corporate team building uh, family. You know, it can be family. It doesn't have to be corporate. You know, it can be whatever uh, experiences in the world. So people come in. They find me. They go, hey, Dave, you know, my company's uh, in trouble. There's a lot of dissension. They're fighting over vaccines and masks and political BS. And, you know, I need help. I can't. I need to bring them back together. What can I do? Uh, give them to me for three hours. So, so typically clients call me one of three reasons. Things are really bad. They're breaking down. Things are fair. They're OK. They're mediocre or things they're kicking ass and they want to take it to the next level. Uh, the other thing I started last year is I started the Dave Alvin Firewalk Academy. That's coming up in October of this year. We're sold out. Sorry. Um, and um, yeah, so they come in and I teach them all my stuff. I teach them the fire walk, the glass walk, the board break, the brick break, the arrow break, the rebar bend, all the different storytelling, you know, you know how to do it all, how to start your own business, um, all of it. And so they come in for a few days, like six days, and we run the academy, and then they go off. So I have a whole host of different people that are coming from that. I have a company. I have companies that send people from their own company, their HR department. I have entrepreneurs. I have business owners that come. I have coaches. I have trainers who come and want to enhance their business. And then, you know, I've got some just everyday friends and family out there too, that want to come and be part of the Academy. So that's going on. Um, we do it once a year in October. Uh, we'll open it up probably at the first of the year for October, 2024. I only bring in nine people at a time. And there's a very specific reason for that, uh, because I steer with the three, six and nine and, um, the numbers three, six and nine, I try to navigate my way through life as much as I can with those three numbers because they're universal. And so, yeah. And so we have a lot of fun with that. We bring them up here to the Appalachian Mountains. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. You know, we're on the Blue Ridge Parkway. We're doing firewalks. We're on the river. We're getting out. We're eating. We're doing more firewalks. We're actually going to go to a client and we're going to put on a firewalk so they get to see what that looks like. So, yeah. So it's, it's, it's a lot of fun and I love it. And
0: it's a way for me to leave the legacy out there as well. Wow, man, that's beautiful, Dave. What a cool story, man. Jesus, you really filled this time packed full of information and experience. I can only imagine the longer version. It'd be fun to have a drink. Well, maybe not a drink with you, but it could happen. You have better coffee. bring a truckload. Yeah, we have a little some coffee. Right? Like, you a go. little bit uh, of shine. Yeah. <laughs> Dave Alvin, what an amazing guest. Um, so full of positivity and light. And just through all the experiences, the other thing I noticed is you really had nothing negative to say about anything. You know? Nothing. So I, I, I just think that's great. Like <laughs> Book book me again, Todd. We'll get into it. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to that, right? <laughs> the ugly side. The dark side and dark, dark side. side. Yeah, I I can go Darth Vader on you, no problem. Right on, right on. Well, let's not do that today, but yeah. No, I'm let's not. Sure. <laughs> I, I'm all about part twos and I was actually wanting to do that with some guests and you would be one. I would love to have a part two where we explore oh, yeah. further. i love and it. Go into some other directions Absolutely. and things like that. I run a cool ass show, bro. And so
1: when you do it right and then you bring out the best in your guests and that delivers great content uh,
0: for your audience and that's the bottom line. So kudos to you for running a kick ass show. Right on, brother. Thank you, man. I really appreciate that. Sometimes I forget too. Maybe I need a fire walk myself, man. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> As a matter of fact, you know what? I just got a quick share before we go here and um, you'll appreciate this, but I'm going to Big Bear here um, next month for great. a couple of days a Christian men's conference cool. and, uh, it'll be a cool thing. I've been going to a really great church and I, I just want to sh- share something that, that I didn't get a chance to earlier. But when you were talking about the brothers in AA, you know, I've been going to churches my whole life, man. And like, I never experienced anything like the church that I go to in downtown Las Vegas, Nevada. And, uh, it's been phenomenal and how I was led to that place and the person that brought me there and just the random (laughs) salesman at the gym, you know, I went and signed up for a gym membership. God, got us in deep communication like within minutes like it was crazy like it was and next thing you know I'm going to the church and I've been there for a little over a month a month and a half and it's uh been the most monumental experience of my life in terms of really feeling accepted and loved and it's real man and even when conflict comes you know it's like hey we got to handle it like this and instead of it getting out of hand and so I I kind of understand at least from my perspective, what that's like and the freedom and what it opens up. And I would invite everybody listening to find a way to get in touch with some spiritually minded people and, uh, you know, the little people who are doing something, you know, and, and let them love you and you love them. And man, it just makes life so much richer. It's really amazing. Everything turns on inspiration, joy, like happiness, and it helps to eradicate some of that negativity from our past. So. You know, I just wanted to share that really quick, but I resonated with what you were talking about in AA and I used to play in a rock band in the early nineties in Northern California and our guitar player was an AA guy. And so we ended up, you know, doing shows at, uh, AA and NA gigs and things like that. We played in a talent show and just a last share just for fun, um, One of the shows that really was a defining moment for our band, we played a lot of heavy metal and hard rock covers and originals. And uh, we played this dance one night for the Narcotics Anonymous dance and they were selling tickets and we're all excited. It was our first paying gig and people poured in the room and filled it up. And as we're playing like two or three songs, man, we're noticing everybody's leaving the room. And like, what in the fuck is going on here? And we're rocking out having a great time. And then finally, one of the guys is like, hey, man, hey, you got to stop, dude. You got to stop, man. And said, you guys jam and you are really good, but you're making us want to get high from listening to that music because we used to get high when we listened to that 70s metal music. We didn't, we had no idea that like, you know, it would influence them in that way. We thought, oh, freedom and liberty, you know, and it's going to be great. But no, man, they all wanted to use. So they left like they all left. (laughs) We had just enough money from that show that night for I think we shared like a large order of fries and we each got a dessert at Denny's and that was all we could afford. (laughs) Oh, my God. that was college. Wow. That's really interesting. That's super interesting. (laughs)
1: <laughs> like hey where's everybody going like we're gonna get out of here man because if not we're gonna go get an eight
0: ball so that's it that's exactly it in this case it was a drink but yeah yeah, yeah it was like I was shocked man I, it, it, I thought it was funny at the time but at, over time looking back I'm like man you know what that really helped me understand like it took a long time to get to this point but like to understand how people are triggered and and I hate that word triggered but um, you know, uh, people are, uh, often led into bad experiences by just some simple little thing that is associated in their mind. And, you know, that's powerful, man. So it's good to be aware of that and yeah. fight against it, you know, they're anchors,
1: man. So yeah. when you were getting really high, you were listening to that music, you were drinking with this, you listened to that song over and over. And all of a sudden now you hear that song and you're sober and guess what? You want to drink again. You want to get high again. So, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's all, it's all anchoring. So you're right you do have to be careful in sobriety about what music you listen to and who you hang out with and where you go. And they say, you got to change your play places, play friends and play things. And so Mm. it, it,
0: it it made sense to me. So I did. Absolutely. Very good, man. And thank you for letting me share that. I appreciate that. Um, may I ask, uh, how do people find you and what would they expect when they reach out to you, Dave? Um,
1: you know, they can just go to our website. I mean, you know, everything's there. Uh, it's uh, Firewalk Adventures with an S, dot com. all one word, Firewalk Everything's there. Um, uh, what we do, how we do it, availability kind of thing. My calendar's there. Uh, we're very accessible. You can call, we'll get on a Zoom call. Tell me what's going on you know, is there a breakdown in your company? You know, why do you want to do this? Why do you want us to come in and create this incredible experiences for you? So just let us know. And we custom design it. You know, I did it one way for Tony Robbins. I did it another way for T. Harvecker I did it another way for NASA. I did, you know, so just, just tell me what's going on and we'll create the experience in and around you, your vision, your mission statement, and, and what's going to work for you. And
0: so once Beautiful. we know that, then you write a check, and we come knock it out of the park for you. Right on, my brother. And uh, let's say that someone's listening, and they're like, mission statement. I don't have a mission statement. You'll help create that, I take it.
1: Well, if you don't have a mission statement, you're a company, then- Oh, 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 I'm sorry. I'm thinking individuals. Got... Oh, individual. Well, I've had a couple of celebrities come to my house. Huh? Know, they've hired me privately. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had several firewalks here up in my up in my cabin up here in the oh. mountains where they hire me, and they come in, and- you know, I've got an Airbnb and so they stay there if they want. And then I, I you know, they spend uh, either a day and a half, two days with me and I rock their world and send them home. But you're right. If they don't have a mission statement, I get them something close. In other words, what do you want? Clarity is power, man. If you don't want to be clear about what you want, then how what are you going to get And you attract it. You can't. Exactly. That's yeah. That's that's the interesting point.
0: It's like trying to, um, it's like trying to bond with plastic using a magnet.
1: <laughs> yeah probably not gonna work unless you put another magnet on the other side of the plastic
0: yeah exactly and then if you're really screwed up the polarity is going to be backwards and you'll never get those two magnets to touch <laughs> there's this oh that's no good, good thank you this has been great dave thank you for sharing dave Alvin. please reach out to him and uh join the firewalk people I guess would be the thing to say and find out what this is all about. This sounds really interesting and deep and for each individual person, there's something there that can be awakened, discovered, uncovered, unraveled. You know, it's all about achieving the greatest that we have in our potential as a human being in life. Right? Absolutely. Beautiful dude. And that's finding our spirit. It's not always physical. It's in the spirit. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. Love it, brother love it thank you again for being on the show today dave i really appreciate your time and for sharing all of this wisdom and knowledge and experience i feel like uh, we just scraped the surface so i hope we get to do it again in the future absolutely right on my brother have a wonderful day thanks you too ciao i'm out right on thank you for tuning in to the toddcast show If you found today's episode helpful and meaningful, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on what's next. Remember that the Toddcast Show is all about community and connection. So follow the podcast on your preferred social platform to keep updated on everything I've got in store. Also check out Toddcastshow.com to find out more and stay connected with me, Todd Mura. Be sure to tell your friends and family about the ToddCast show so the podcast family can continue to grow and share on an international level. See you over on the next episode. Hi, I'm Todd Murat, host of the ToddCast show, and I want to share something personal with you today. Throughout my own life, I've struggled with issues I didn't even realize I had. Things like depression, past trauma, PTSD, and feeling disconnected from the people I loved the most. It took me hitting rock bottom to realize I couldn't fix myself alone. I needed help to unravel the tangled knots within my life, find myself again, and become stronger in the areas I was weakest. It wasn't an overnight transformation, but with time, I learned to change my thinking, my attitudes, and my entire paradigm for the better. I learned that it's good to ask for help, and that's why I want to tell you about our sponsor, BetterHelp. Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of the Toddcast show. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and the best part—it's 100% online. You can participate from anywhere, anytime that works for you. It's simple to get started. Simply answer a few questions about your specific needs and personal preferences in therapy, and BetterHelp will match you with the perfect therapist from their network. It's really that easy. You can message your therapist anytime you need support and schedule a live session when it's convenient for you. BetterHelp is committed to ensuring that you find the perfect match to guide you along your journey to well-being. As someone who went through therapy and came out way ahead of where I started, I want to invite you to take this step to a healthier, happier you today. My life was transformed through therapy, and yours can be too. With BetterHelp... You get the same professionalism and quality you'd expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is hand-picked for you, all at a shockingly affordable price. And as a special offer for our listeners, you'll get 10% off your first month by using the special link, betterhelp.com forward slash Toddcast. That's betterhelp.com forward slash Forward slash Todcast. You don't have to face life's challenges alone. BetterHelp is here to support you through the big and small issues of your life in a way that can really make a huge difference, both short and long term. Take the first step towards a healthier, happier you. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash Todcast to get started today.